I'm Jakob Voigt, the CEO of Catalytic, and this is Unbundled. In this series, I help to demystify technology in the world of business. Join me as we explore how technology can make your business better. In this episode, we're chatting about business resilience and disaster recovery, or versus. We're chatting about what each means, what the factors are to consider when putting a plan in place, and how to know if your business is safe. By the end of this episode, you'll have a clear idea of how your SME business can ensure business resilience. Today, I'm joined by Willem Olivier, Managing Director of uh, Resilient Innovations. Good morning, Jaku, and Willem, thank welcome. you for the invite. I really appreciate that. That's great news to be here. So uh, we always uh, start the, the show by giving us a little bit of background about uh, yourself and how long you've been in the industry and then maybe a little bit about uh, the newly, newly minted name for your business. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I started in the business continuity in- industry around about 2020, in the middle of 2020. And so that's about 2020. <laughs> it's a great time. years that I've been in the business. And I've um, worked for several um, companies during that period and a lot of helped a lot of companies and also achieved a lot of um, in the business continuity field in terms of certification. So uh, in from a, a recovery perspective and, and helping companies, I started initially as a consultant and then left and worked for Barclays Bank. And my uh, job was to implement the recovery facilities in Africa for the bank. That okay. took uh, about seven years to get all of that in place. And um, also uh, putting in place business continuity plans, business recovery plans for technology, assisting people, training people to um, be able to recover uh, when they have an uh, issue in their business, and then also writing the plans. There's, there's, a, there's a specific process that you do around that, but I'll get to that. Um, after that, to that, I went and worked for Continuity SA again, and that was for another few years, and my role was to establish businesses for Continuity SA in Africa. So okay. we established businesses in Botswana, Mozambique, Mauritius, and Kenya. And during my period at Barclays and, and, and Continuity SA, I already traveled quite substantially, but then moved to Standard Bank and helped Standard Bank to develop quite a number of their recovery facilities for a few years. And there were 16 additional countries in, in Africa. So I wow. spent a lot of time in Africa. And it's a very different environment if you go from country to country. And you need to develop recovery facilities, train people, and try and understand the logistics and the challenges that every country has. Um, so that that was one of the really great learning fields for me to to learn uh, a lot about business continuity. Um, maybe just an interesting point is that uh, when a British bank came back into South Africa in early 2004, they ran a lot of projects into Africa, and some of the guys would say, you know, he has a project plan, you can drive 100 kilometers <laughs> north of Nairobi, it takes you one hour, and uh, what they didn't realize, it actually takes half a day or two days because of uh, the ruralness of the roads. So it, it's challenges that are different in every country, and but it was great uh, experiences that, that we've achieved um, in that. After uh, the Standard Bank, uh, um, and I did some work for Salsi, I helped them to develop their business continuity program and also ran APSA's crisis management function for a year and then went back to Continuity SA. That was in 2015. But 
there was a period at that stage, Dimension Data bought uh, Continuity SA okay. and integrated the business into Dimension Data, which is uh, which was great. Um, Did is a great company, a massive organization, and um, unfortunately, the um, our business model eventually didn't fit into the uh, entity go-to-market strategy, which is it's a global mar- go-to-market strategy that they have, and they opted to sell off the non-core assets. So there's quite a few of them going on at the moment, and um, rightfully so, I can understand why a company wants to, especially these multinationals, why they want to focus on specific things and where they want to go to. Yeah. So in that period, we did a management buyout, which started about two years ago, and the process was it's all in the MBO or sale of a business always takes a year or two, and that eventually was finalised um, in October last year, signed off, and we moved operationally across into a newly formed company, Resilient Innovations P two I Limited. The problem is that we couldn't move into continued SA because we couldn't get the brand out. So because it's, okay. it's just purely because of um, what is required by um, from a fiduciary point of view. So we decided to rebrand it as um, Resilient Innovations, and our slogan is also moving beyond the resilience. So, so, so um, that was that's interesting for me because I think you know we're going to cut through some of the jargon today. But uh, how did you get to the name? What what was the the significance of it? Well, a lot of sleepless nights. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that took a lot, a lot of thinking. The um, for me, business continuity has moved on substantially and being involved in it and being a fellow of the Business Continuity Institute and working with so many people on an international basis, you continuously um, work in environments where people see changes in, in that field and how things move on and they do things differently. Um, in the initial stages of business continuity when it started, I mean, it was always there was disaster recovery. That was for the mainframe computers, that's where it started. Uh, then people decide, well, what about the actual business? Because the building burns down, but the mainframe computer is fine in the data center. So that's how the whole program then evolved into business continuity. But then it evolved into business resilience eventually to say that, you know, how resilient should we be? Because when we started, um, just go back maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, how many companies in South Africa had diesel generators? I mean, you've got diesel generators here, most likely maybe a few. And 20 years ago, you would not have one. And if the power goes off, you go and find another place to go and work. So what's happened is we've become astute to finding solutions to help us to be more resilient in terms of having our own diesel generator and being able to restart that generator ourselves and take your own home. So in the past, you would just live with it and but now you've built your own generator, you generate your power through solar, etc., and that's how you then become resilient, if I can put it that way. So so can, can I interject here, and, 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 and to me, and I think you, you actually teed it up perfectly now, in my mind, sometimes when we when we talk around these things, so, so to me, I don't, in my mind, there's not a massive distinguishment between disaster recovery and, business continuity or resilience. I, I, I like the resilience word, so we'll keep going with that. So can we just take two seconds or a couple of minutes just on what what is disaster recovery and in what is business resilience and how would you differentiate between the two? Okay. So disaster recovery mainly focuses on your technology of your business. That's the actual 
um, data center recovery of your equipment or um, if you have a file server in your office or a rack with a com- bunch of computers on it, that's typically your disaster recovery that you that you uh, um, recover, your, that's your ITDR as I refer to it. And with ITDR, you don't always have to recover 100% of what you have because if SAP, for instance, is in a data center somewhere providing with all those financial in- um, um, systems and information, and you have a few other systems that do provide um, genetic just user files and things like that are non-important, then you're obviously going to recover your SAP files first. So that you've got to write a plan, which we call a technical recovery plan, and that relates directly to how you're going to recover that physical system. So on the ITDR side, you must have a backup of that machine. And that um, is quite expensive. So what a lot of companies do, they go into for a syndicated model, especially on the mainframe side. Uh, that has sort of changed a little bit um, today where mainframe computer, we don't necessarily do that ourselves anymore. Um, that has changed significantly because of the scalability that you have within big data centers and the hyperscalers in, on, on cloud. So <clears throat> on ITDR, we also provide a service, for instance, which is um, a, a DRAS, Disaster Recovery as a Service, is a subscription service so that you don't have to go and buy your own computer systems. So we have a fully cloud-based system. We can uh, have all of your applications on that system. If your production system fails, you spin it up and into DRAS with your data and you start to process. Okay, so, so so d- um, let's, let's make this uh, real. Um, so... I've, my example that I always use on the show is, is it's probably not going to be the easiest for you, but uh, I run an accounting practice um, and I'm headquartered in Centurion. I don't know, we run some files and maybe some accounting system, let's call it Pastel, whatever. Um, and I've got a small office in Cape Town and Durban. Something, my systems fail. What? How does this come into play in, in terms of your example that you're talking about? Yeah, so first of all, it obviously comes um, around as well as what it costs. So yes. how much do you want to spend? So there are a couple of ways you can do it. The first one is you can buy a duplicate system and, and put it down in Cape Town and these two systems talk to each other. So yeah. you, can, you can do that. So that's the first one. And that's, that's quite expensive. Or you can go to a provider that will provide you with DRAS uh, capability. And that's, that's, that's like, like, for instance, Resilient Innovations. We have a platform which can provide you with that service. So you only buy a portion of that big computer with data storage. And you and you can then uh, transfer your data across. Uh, typically what we do is we send somebody with a server, we collect the data, we put it with your staff, put it into the data center onto the platform, uh, going to the data center and put it onto the platform and then uh, your production system systems and the data is then available in DR. Now, once that's, something goes down to production and Centurion, uh, your data center could be in Sandton or uh, Waterfall or Bryanston or wherever and then they could spin up the systems. But there must be a plan in place. There must be a procedure in place and there must be a company that can support you. So it's all good and well to have all of these systems in place, but if there's no planning and testing done, and when it breaks down, mm. you are going to struggle. So we've we've had situations which in in the past um, running a recovery company where clients with call centers uh, call centers would um, fail at two o'clock in the morning, critical twenty four seven call centers, and within one hour 
the recovery facility is up and running and the the people come across to the recovery facility, all of the systems are restarted, back in their chairs, working and supporting whatever they have to so, do. So when you talk about that people component and the, the, the people in chairs, is, is that where the continuity, the that's, resilience component comes in? That's in that's the business continuity continuity okay. component comes into it. So, so just for, so I'm clear in my mind, in so when we're talking disaster recovery, that's typical, let's call it your survey environment or your, yeah. your systems and your applications. Then one step further, I get to the office and the whole thing is burned down. And all of a sudden, I can maybe panic a little bit, but I can say, right, in that, uh, what's a DRAS, um, um, my systems can get spun up, mm-hmm. but now my people are standing outside on the, on the sidewalk and going, like, where are we going? Yes. Yeah. So that's the business continuity. And for that, okay. we also do business continuity planning. Now, that, that typically takes some time. Um, because what you have to do is, if you look at an organization of, say, 500 people, out of 500 people, if you're lucky, maybe, I'm not talking about work from home type of capability yes. now, let's just put that aside for a moment. But if you look at, say, 500 people, most probably less than 150 of those people are absolutely critical for the first two or three days of your business to be able to recover your business. Because if your building burns down, You've lost a lot of paper. You lost a lot of um, traction in terms of processing that data, or invoicing, or goods received vouchers, or whatever the case may be that you've that you've had. So you you have to have a plan to recover that. And the way that you do that is you do a business impact assessment first of all, with a business risk assessment. Once you've established what your real uh, critical businesses are, you then put that into terms of a recovery time objective. So how quick must I recover that? Take a dealing desk um, at a bank, a dealing desk, any one of them, big banks in South Africa. Um, If a a dealing desk goes down, how do you recover that dealing desk and how quickly must you do it? So if your position is open after closing that day, if your position is not closed, you will surely be exposed during the night. You, you said business impact assessment and in business risk, risk assessment. assessment. Yeah. So business impact assess- assessment is if my dealing desk goes down, how much money does it cost me? Uh, will you lose per hour? Okay. So per hour, yes. Per hour. So you, that and, in, and in the risk is is if it goes on for longer than, let's say, for example, 24 hours, I don't have a business left. <laughs> exactly. Something like that. That's it, yeah, yeah. So that's okay. where risk comes in. Um, it's, it's also, if it's people-based for argument's sake, if it's a... Uh, 24 standby services for roadside assistance for argument's sake. So that's people's lives. Um, that then, that that business impact assessment be, uh, it, it relates then back to people as opposed to money. And obviously there yes. you, th- you throw a lot more into it. So it, it's uh, it's how you establish that. And once you've established all of your, your business processes and you've quantified what the recovery time objective of each of them are, then you equate that back to the amount of people you would need because in for sake of payments um, in a process, you might have 10 people in your business doing that, but you only need three people at your recovery facility. So if you have a recovery facility, you move three people across and they can restart the process and recover the business uh, so, for that so, function. So, Willem, so, so I think you've started touching on some of this. So then, so then let, let's take in, a, I almost want to say, a, a greenfield stop scenario. Let's say a, bus, a business that... It grew too quickly. It, it was it sprung up, 
and all of a sudden it's a, it's, it's a big business and it hasn't had time to think about all of those things. What are the, those factors that, that a business should then consider? And then I think maybe um, depending on the type of business, then that determines then if you're going for a disaster recovery or a business resilience. Yeah. So it will become a strategic decision um, started by the board, for instance, or the exco of that organization by saying that, guys, you know, we have critical data, which we cannot lose. If we lose the data, we lose the company. They may also say that we have critical business processes that if they stop for longer than 24 hours, we will have, um, we could lose the business or we have regulatory issues. So if if, uh, the Payments Association of South Africa or APSA or any of these big banks or whatever, can't process, then um, you know they will obviously cause um, all kinds of problems for the country. So for them, it's critical that they have um, these systems in place. So they they then go through a process of establishing right. uh, There is a a strategic view that we must take as a company, as a board, that we have to deliver that. Not only is that a a strategic view of the board, but it's also a regulatory requirement from the South African Reserve Bank and then also the Banks Association and Payments Association, these guys all drive these um, processes to make sure that everybody complies to the right um, methodology. So then uh, once that's done, a program is established within the organization with the leadership of, say, business continuity manager or business resilience manager. He will then go and say, right, we're going to implement a business impact assessment. So they take all of the departments in the business, they they work a plan out to say, this is the business impact assessment, they, and I assume there's a typical framework that one uses yeah. in order to establish that. It's not, it's not like you're going to walk into a company and then say, okay, right, so what do you guys think or whatever? Yeah, yeah. You, there's a, there's a, that, yeah. that plan, you can sort of spoon feed it. and There's a set methodology, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, also, you would do a um, systems impact assessment because you might have 50 or 2,000 systems in your data center. So you've got to decide which ones of those systems are critical. So the system that runs the uh, sweets cell shop in all the canteen is the least critical one probably, <laughs> and and the payment system the most critical one. So you got to r- rank them, and then you you um, have to put, uh, select a, a recovery time objective. So some of them you obviously have uh, zero or one. So that means they should be online and be able to recover immediately. But then the, there are ones that you can wait for two hours, four hours, eight hours, whatever. So we, we calculate that and we do that in conjunction with the technology people in a, a data center, uh, the, in a technology team. When we do the impact assessments with, uh, say, finance team, and finance, we would then sit down and say, right, um, you guys require SAP for this. And they say, that's what we need. And we have 50 people running with SAP in our finance team, but we'll only need 20 people in recovery. But the, the uh, I would say to them, right, the technology team says that they can only recover the SAP system for you in 24 hours. And the business would say, no, that's impossible because we need it in one hour because we've got this regulatory requirement. So then you've got to go back to technology and spend more money. And that's where managing the expectation comes from. So you've got to, you got to bring business and, and, and IT together to make sure that they understand each other in terms of what is that requirement. I must say that nowadays there's a, there's been a lot of um, uh, the, the CIOs have grown quite substantially in South Africa in terms of that it's al- it's almost as if it's automated in their daily tasks that they do they very quickly establish those things without even going through a program like that. 
but um, still gaps do exist. So once they've established all of that, we then go into writing a business continuity plan. The technical guides go back and they write their technical recovery plan. And then they also establish a recovery facility. Um, so that's a, a building that has desks and chairs and they would um, um, utilize that for recovery. Now, part of your recovery plan can be five people can go and work from home. The other five can work from the office, um, uh, you know, something like that. But in the past, typically, you would just have people working from the recovery site. So if you had say, 100 people, maybe 30 people would work from the recovery site. Nowadays, you can split it. Nowadays, you can say, well, 20 people at the recovery site, um, the rest can work from home, uh, so which, which, which is great. Uh, but then you get all kinds of other challenges coming in along with um, working from home, especially during DR, um, load shedding, no power. <sighs> Telecommunication outages, security is a big thing yeah. as well. That's that's one of the major factors that l limit a lot of companies around security of data. And then not everybody is geared in their houses for being able to work from home. They don't have fiber. Uh, it's a small flat possibly. So, you know, it's, it's it, it becomes challenging. So once the, the, the testing is done, um, once a year at a minimum, Oh. Then you do you do a, a post test report. You, you check for your um, things that fail. So when you do that testing, you basically take that plan it was written and you yep. you follow it step by step. That's, yeah, and you can you can have your auditors with you as well. Okay. And then they can step by step go back and say, well, this this RTO didn't work because IT couldn't get that system up and running, and this um, um, that failed because of that. Does can I ask you a question uh, on that note? Does that does that testing um, does it happen in a, in your live environment or do you run it side by side? And, and part of the reason why I asked the question is um, even in our own business, you know, um, uh, if I, if I take our CRM system as an example, which is quite critical to our business, uh, and it runs in a supposed high availability scenario, then so like I'll, I'll go okay, right, let's let's cut it and see. And then the guys always go, no, 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 we first have to do a dry run. And I go, but, you know, when you have a disaster, you're not going to have that. <laughs> dry run, you yeah. don't have that leeway. So so do you, do you test it sort of side by side or, or do, does it actually go into the live environment where you go, okay, right, I know for a fact that today when we invoke this this plan, we, we've sort of put it properly through its paces. Yeah. So typically um, the synchronization of data becomes a problem. And that's the one key thing. That's why the technology guys do not always want to say, well, just switch off and because you, you know, you, you're going to lose data. But you also determine that. Um, by but in a Dior event, uh, it's probably going to happen. It, it's most likely to happen, okay. yeah. So, so, so in your plan or in that, you're going to work out some form of tolerance of data loss yes, or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so if you, for instance, have a, a production and a Dior and it's live data goes from the one to the other. You have a massive risk there for cyber attack because then if it happens on the one side, it's going to happen on the other side. Uh. So what companies tend to do is they give it a few minutes to continuously monitor it and then there are systems that will cut the line and so that the data doesn't go through. But if the data does go through, then you still have what we call BAS, backup as a service. That's a further immutable data that you have, but it's offline all the time. But the testing, <clears throat> typically, um, it's, it must be well-planned. So you do a pre-planning, uh, pre-test planning, uh, exactly around that, and you do the scope as well. Are you going to shut it down or not? Because uh, shutting down all your systems in a data center could be 
really a, a disaster. <laughs> then, well, <laughs> in in the early two thousands, there was a British bank that had a data center failure in London, and the all of the systems went into a shutdown. They thought they got the instruction as a controlled shutdown, so they did a controlled shutdown, and it was a dealing desk. And when they brought all of the systems back up again, this nothing would talk to each other. So the synchronizations Oof. of the systems. Um, was a problem. So those are the kinds of things that you got to think of, which ones you got to switch on before the other ones. I think nowadays it's a little bit more robust, a little bit more clever and, and intuitive uh, as 20 years ago. But once you've tested it, you've written your plan, you then um, obviously keep that and six months later, it changes, you've got to do another test. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you that. So so obviously um, if, if um, I... I pay you to help me develop this continuity plan and the risk assessment and all that type of stuff. And now we go we go through a test that, and hopefully everything came back up or, or you know we've got enough tick boxes. I'm going to bed tonight and I'm going to sleep super well and I'm going to go okay cool that was worth the exercise and the, the money and all that type of stuff. But but how often do I? Because it's not a one time a year thing. Well, we we uh, encourage our clients to test once a year at least. Minimum. Minimum. And the reason for that one But that to me should sort of be logical because, yeah. I mean, a year is, there's a lot that can happen. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is also if a client doesn't test um, and something goes wrong, you know, who's to blame now? I mean, you're a DR provider and, you know, are they going to blame us? It's uh, so, yes. so they have to test. It's It's imperative. And it's just um, good business, um, sound business sense to test. Any board would say that. It's very interesting that for me because you know even even in, in our catalytic space, just where we where we providing high level resilient links to our customers, the expectation is okay. Well, I have it; it must just work. Mm. And we've now got to continuously reiterate to the customer: listen, if you really want to be sure that it's that it's working, then you need to test it. Absolutely. To, at my my. Um, I, I was speaking to a customer yesterday and I said, listen, if, if you want to hold me accountable and you've got to test once a month, that that to me yeah. is, yeah, because you you think you can, you're only going to need know if you have it when the day when you need it. That's it. Well, it's also um, telephony as an example. Yeah. Say you have to recover a call center of 500 people Oof. and you're sitting in Johannesburg in, 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 in Braunfontein, 500 people in a building and you've got your recovery site uh, out in Midrand, you say 200 people. And the building burns down now. And it's a critical recovery center for a, a portion of that data center, of that call center. And you now need to move the people across. So that's your business continuity component. So now your RTO says you've got to get that up and running within four hours, which means the technology team's got to switch the stuff across in four hours. Somebody's got to notify telecom to switch that telephone line to point to another building and secondly, all the call flows of the call center has to be established. So they've got to be pre-planned and set up at the recovery facility beforehand. So the people can literally, even if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, they literally walk in with the testing that was done. They walk in with their ID cards and they get handed a uh, and it's and, list. And if you just think of the logistics of that, if you really yeah. think it through, that's somebody that's got – well, the, number one, those 200 people have got to know where to go. Yeah. Just so that. that yeah. And then I must have my card with me and where do I go and sit? And exactly. So so all of those things are, are documented 
listed as part of the continuity plan. So that's that's how they, they test then. Uh, and then obviously afterwards the, the, the flip back becomes another uh, uh, problem. I've, I've been in a test where we were doing <laughs> a test in, in, uh, in Botswana and of a new recovery facility for the bank. And it was the bank's own recovery facility. So the, the, the test went well the whole day. It was in the old days where we did voucher processing um, with voucher processing machines. It's a check processing, uh, MICR stuff. So it's 2005. And um, the, uh, everything went well. Everything went perfect. But then somebody didn't do a version change on one of the systems. Mm. And at the end of the evening, the around about 9 o'clock, when we had to start pushing data across to the central bank, um, it couldn't work. It didn't work. And because of the version change, so the, the, the pieces of software couldn't talk to each other. What we then had to do is declare a disaster. And then we stayed into disaster until they got that right two days later. Wow. So we did the bank's clearing for two days. So they worked almost 24-7. But, but luckily, they, they could manage that process um, in DR whilst they were fixing the so – brought production back. It's hell of a story to do it, but they did it. Um, also, what's, what's important is, you know, you can do all of this for your technology and for your business and have your recovery site in place. But if you have, for argument's sake, a 9-11 event or a building that burns down, um, and we've seen it, is what are your executives doing? You know, where are they in this whole process? And that's where crisis management is absolutely key. So it, it's, it's great to have all of these other plans in place and the people are doing it and it's working. But if it's a major incident, the first thing you've got to do is obviously emergency management. That's evacuating the buildings and so on. Then crisis management takes over and then they will deal with it. They will deal with the media and so forth. Because if, 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 if a big bank in, in the center of Joburg starts to burn – the media is going to drive those people nuts. Yes. So um, you have to have media spokespersons. And, and we, we've done these exercises um, in, in the big banks. I've worked in them. And typically, I can tell you now that all of them, they test extremely well. I mean, they, they do, they take it very seriously. Uh, a crisis management exercise will constitute at least 50 people, top executives of the bank. They bring in media people as well to record stuff. Uh, they do have a lot of external experts to monitor things, note things, and they 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 hard on on themselves around that life. So, I want to ask you a, a more difficult question because I think when you know in in the example of when we're talking financial institutions, banks, all that type of stuff, I think we all sort of expect that you know those guys must uh, they pro probably front of mind for them every day, other than trying to make money off yeah. us is is, <laughs> is risk. So I think they understand that. In a, in a space where I spend a lot of time in, let's call it in a small to medium enterprise space, my my data uh, in my business is, is is probably worth more for me than, than I don't know I say, but, you know, you know relatively speaking, than, than, it, than it is for the bank because the bank's got multiple copies mm. and this and that. Do you find that um, in that small to medium enterprise space, we spend enough time thinking about what what the risks are, how to make a plan for that. Because, you know, like every day if I can use, uh, I don't know, uh, today's lingo, you know, everybody's hustling on a daily basis. Do you find that do we spend enough time on sort of getting a, a, a structured plan in place? I don't think so. 
I think that the, the it's 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 like a, a upside pyramid in terms of you know the bigger banks at the top with if you put them at the top, it's an upside pyramid. Yes. Um, where the smaller business would be at the bottom, the most amount of them, and the banks at the top, the pyramid is changed around in terms of actually planning. Whereas at the the, the banks do the most, and then as you go down, you'll see the smaller to medium enterprise companies. And, doing and the banks and probably have d- deep enough pockets to recover from a mistake or a disaster or two. Yeah. If if you're in a small to medium enterprise uh, and you lose all of your data, that's really disastrous. No, no, for sure. And, and I think that it's also the, the you know, the South African Reserve Bank drives uh, this for the banks and the financial institutions yes. um, very, very hard. They have um, the, um, the um, sub-risk, uh, sub-operational risk, operational sub-risk committee uh, at Saab and they monitor all of these plans. And every year a bank has to hand in or pre- uh, present their recovery resolution as to how they're going to recover that bank in total. So it's, it's quite a big thing that they've got to put together to, to um, reflect to, to the banks how they're going to do it. And, and, and these things change on an annual basis. So it's, it's regulated and it's regulated well. What is regulated though on the small to medium enterprises is um, from an institute of directors perspective and your fiduciary accountability as a director in organization is to make sure that you won't um, cause harm to that business. And by that, it means that you've got to look after the business in terms of of business continuity and resilience. So, so does that mean that uh, uh, in your mind, is there, is there any business that is too small not to have a some form of plan in place. No, I think every business should have one. There's no nothing too small. Even if it's if it, even if it's somebody that sells, um, you know, if, if uh, let me put it this way: if you only have one computer and you're selling stuff off your computer, one computer, your recovery plan should be your data. Where do you keep your data? Do you keep it in your safe at home? And if your home burns down, is it somewhere else? It's that kind of thing. Or you put it onto the cloud. But it's even to that point is if you want to make a plan, is just make a plan to say, right, my data is on my computer. It's safe. It's synchronized with OneDrive in the USA. So if I lose my, my computer and it's stolen, I can still get my car wash business going with just downloading the data onto a new computer and off I go. It's as simple as that. But uh, you've got to think about it and get it done. But in, in, that, in that scenario, and you've actually touched on something earlier um, around the security between your your production and your and your DR type environment. Um, I to me it sounds like now in this hybrid cloud world where we've got some information sitting in the in the hyperscaler, some sitting with me, some sitting on employee laptops and all the, the data is distributed all over the place. The the complexity must have must have grown dramatically. Yeah, I must say that um we've been part of, of NTT and DD now for a few years. Um, I think that those companies have a massive grip on it. They they really implement a lot of um, um, expensive tools, CrowdStrike, um, Firewalls, Okta, you know, for the um, um, second factor encrypt, uh, authentication, authentication yeah. and stuff like that because they have to. They can't be lax about it. And they continuously monitor all of their systems, but it but it is an expensive exercise. And um, denial of attacks, uh, those things happen. There are companies that are con- it's, it, they just you know get hit by um, fraudsters all the time. So you you can't be lax. And um, th- to think that you won't be caught out by not having any security, you make a big mistake. You must have 
something in place. So we also provide stuff like that in terms of firewalls uh, for our clients. And then it's also a thing we have layered security where the environment where you have your data centers and all of them are like that. You can have a look at all of the big data centers in South Africa worldwide. A huge amount of security to physically get into the, that location. It's very, very difficult to do that. But if, the, um, if, if, if a port is open, that's oh. the easiest one, you know, then, yeah. So, so, so that's when the penetration testing is absolutely critical. And part of that technology testing is to also do a penetration testing of your operational environment on a technology level. You, you have to do that, uh, especially the bigger banks. They, they, they do that all the time. Okay. Um, how do, um, and I think we spoke about it a little bit earlier, um, where I said it, it does, this doesn't sound like it's a, it's a once-off exercise. So um, my, my question was, I think you've alluded to a lot of what we're talking about already, but how do I know that my, this, my business resilience plan is working? I've, I've got to set physical d- dates and then test it. Yeah. So, so once you've gone through your impact assessments, your risk assessments, wrote your plan, tested it, trained your people, you start over again next year. Because it's changed. But there's, there's never an end to it. And that's why you'll see our company logo is Infinity Loop. <laughs> because okay, well, it's, uh, that's what you have to do. You, you have to redo it om- almost every six monthly or annually. So business resilience never ends. It, it will continue to, to evolve. So business resilience is putting all of that ITDR, the business continuity, and all of that together. But it's also hardening your business as well. So it doesn't mean that business resilience means that um, uh, you now have to go and have to work at a recovery facility or work at home or whatever the case may be. Um, Like I said earlier on, 20 years ago, almost nobody had diesel generators. Now everybody has a diesel generator. We have two in all of our buildings. We have two um, diesel water supplies and diesel um, air conditioning systems and all kinds of weird things that we've done. But it's also about um, making sure that you can <clears throat> think about things that may trip you over. And that comes from a risk assessment perspective as well. So if there's something or you see another organization that is critical in possibly selling your services or a logistics company that's uh, providing you the support to bring your products into the country, mm. and you start reading up, well, that company is starting to... I'm not reading good things of that company. Um, what am I going to do about that? And it's not because continuity in a logistics company is extremely difficult. Mm. So how do, I, how do I build resiliency for myself to um, prevent something like I switch so a vendor? It's not just my own, my own business. It's almost a, the entire ecosystem yeah. in which I… You've got to look at that, yeah. So you look at the environment as well. So when we do these risk assessments, we look at the environments. We look at a lot of things like security, building security. Um, and then also access into your building typically as well. But it's, it's, it's what goes on outside of your little world. You, you have to monitor those things as well. Um, I want to ask you, we, we almost always end the, the show by, by trying, to, you know, trying to make it real and give people a real life sort of guideline of, of where to next. So if somebody sat and listened to this now, um, and they go, I, I haven't paid attention to this. Where, where do I start? 
Okay, so they can start by going to our website, if I can tell you what that is. It's, sure. it's ri.africa. Ri for Resilient Innovations. Innovations.africa. Um, and there's a contact form on that, uh, and it, which will come through to myself and to our marketing team, and they will be able to take up, uh, pick up the leads. So, and so, so just on that point, and I mean, um, there's a lot of things that you mentioned here now, like, for example, this ecosystem that the business operates in that, that I haven't even thought about because, you know, you just focus on your own problems. Um, do you find that um, people try and almost DIY this and then say, okay, right, I'm just going to go at my own? And and to me, the point is, is if, if I really want to sleep sound at night or whatever, I I do sort of want at, at minimum expert assessment to say, okay, right, this is really what's happening in your life. Yeah. So, so there's a logic component about that, and that's where the human beings typically come in quite well. Because I can, I can for instance, say to an AI tool, please write me a business continuity plan. <laughs> I have these, these uh, 10 pieces of software. I have 20 people. This is my processes. I write the business continuity plan for me so I can show it to some regulator. And AI can tick do that box. for you. Yeah. It's a tick box. So you do get that, but then a lot of people uh, take a little bit more seriously than that and say, well, okay, um, I'm living um, next to a railway line, for instance, and they don't consider that. So they've got their business continuity plan, but they never thought about what will happen if that truck explodes in Germiston, you know, and, and it takes a bridge down. Um, it's stuff like that, that, that you, you've got to think about it in the worst case. So um, when business continuity started to come out, and uh, up 30 years or so ago, there was a lot of talk about natural disasters, and then 9-11 came around, and that really opened up the, the, the eyes of the world. But that also opened up the eyes of the world in terms of that whole resiliency build out, because now you're looking at military, um, aviation, all of that, that started to um, work together to make sure that that they, they're robust, they can deal with uh, things that, that come to impact them. So then back to making it real, if somebody then contacts you, the 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 starting point of that journey is, is I assume, some form of workshop position to understand what yeah what's happening in the business. So we'll we'll do it. Does a that take a lot of time? Is it, it is it a tedious uh, process? No, uh, it takes it depends on the size of the company. Uh, okay. but it, it's a it's a gap analysis. Uh, first of all to say right what you want to do. Um, you want to do an impact assessment of your whole organization. I mean if you take a large bank with 50 divisions, that can take a few months. Yes. Um, and um, it, it, it is quite um, expensive to do that, but they've got their own people that do that in big banks. But uh, an organization of, say, three or four or 500 people, you can do it fairly quick. It's not too, it doesn't have to be something that will take two years. But you've got to get the buy-in of the execs and the managing director or the CEO of the company. <laughs> If you have that, that's why I was the question. That's the difficult part. Yeah. So if that, I, I hate having risk conversations <laughs> because it's like so it's almost like talking about your own life policies. Yeah, like, yeah. Why do I have to talk about dread disease and all that type of stuff? It's like just let's just ignore it. But yeah, yeah I mean yeah. that's that is key. You got to have the buy-in from a CEO. That's the key. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, to me, it feels like uh, I think we can do another three or four uh, episodes about this. But I think we get, we're definitely gonna come back and and specifically around the innovations component of your business. Mm. Um, I think you've got one or two new tricks up your sleeve that do, uh, yeah. is going to definitely be worthwhile for us having conversations down the line. Yeah, so so definitely would like to do that. Um, we've got some interesting things that we're working on that, um, 
you know, removes the whole thinking of working from home, makes things a little bit easier um, with some tools that we have around in our and so. talking about three-letter acronyms, TIA, this is Africa, so we need to continuously yes. be resilient. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Thank Thanks you, for Jacob. listening to Unbundled, brought to you by Catalytic, a series that aims to demystify technology so that you can make smarter decisions in your business. Remember that you can listen to all of the episodes on the Cliff Central Apple website, and for added convenience, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And uh, remember... If you're looking for help with communications tools in your business, please make sure to visit catalytic.co.za. Cliffcentral.com.